Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the Welcome challenges the that Mark's guest Mark faced and how today they overcame adversity. We're be having more now, here is your host, my good friend, Mark Azoulay. Anthony Delasio. We're going to be talking about masculinity, I think. We're going to be talking about you know, how men give and receive feedback. We're going to be talking about our journeys of having the same education at this like weirdo Buddhist university and then <laughs> moving out and becoming our own person. Uh, Anthony, welcome to the show. Uh, it's good to be here, Mark. Thanks for having me. So tell people a little bit about your journey. What was it like going to Naropa? What was it like getting the Buddhist education? <laughs> um, well, it was a weirdo uh, Buddhist place. It was also one of the best decisions I think I ever made. Um, I think, uh, I tell people that it was a weird place a lot and I think they get the wrong idea because everybody at Naropa <laughs> says that it's weird. Um, but I guess they really love that it's weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I guess my, the start of my story as a therapist anyway, was, in uh, 2010, I was working in construction. It was a family business. And um, I had always had an interest in psychology. So I decided to sort of drop everything and move out to Colorado, um, figure out what I was going to do from there. I spent a couple of years working at a brewery. And... Um, actually ended up dating a girl that went to Naropa and kind of just got to know people that were there. And I thought, um, everything was, I don't know. It just, there's something about Naropians. I, I can't really describe it now, like looking back on it, but I just knew I wanted to be a part of it in some way. So, um, I kind of, I applied, I got in a year later and that's kind of all she wrote as far as Naropa goes. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that stands out to me about Naropa is the long, uncomfortable amounts of eye contact. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And I think like the feeling that I had when I was there, and I think I mean the feedback that I get from, you know, people in my life, relationships in my life, is that the people there really pay attention, like really pay attention in a way that I don't think most people do. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we have this thing where we can like really listen and like take in somebody mm -hmm. fully. Yeah. Um, and I think that's actually very intimidating to some people. It's kind of disarming. You know, it 100%. Was, yeah. Right. It was for me to talk to the professors and my classmates. I had them like actually like with me. You know? Yes. I totally know what you mean. Like, I, I think I was, I'd always sort of come across people like that in my life, you know, here and there. I didn't really know anyone, I don't think, on a personal level that was that intense in that way. And, but then, there's so many of the professors at Naropa are, um, I mean, it sounds almost dumb to say, but they're just like there. And it is super intimidating because you can't really, you, I, at least uh, this, I don't know how it was for you, but for me, I kind of realized how often I was covering things up about myself in just like regular conversation. And uh, you know, that's what people do. I mean, that's totally normal, but I wasn't aware of it until I was sitting across from somebody that could see right through everything that I was doing. <laughs> and that's the intimidating part because there are ways that we do those things that, uh, we're, we're not aware that we're doing them. Yeah. I had the same experience, right? It's like, you know, when I was younger, I get emotionally uncomfortable and I just changed the topic. And I, I don't know to this day if people <laughs> noticed that or we're all kind of complicit in it uh -huh. but to like go off on a tangent and then to have someone be like no but like what were you just talking about right, right? i'm like whoa whoa you're not supposed to like get that <laughs> right like, no I thought we were talking about netflix now like what I, you what just you broke the about? social contract what the <laughs> hell are you doing <laughs> yeah there's to be like yeah that's like just distraction like go back to what you're talking about about your mom or whatever you know and i was like right oh, god Right. Yeah. Or like the weird things we do like, uh, at inappropriate times, like, um, what did they call it? Um, 
not to Stonic. Anyway, uh, there was a moment in class where somebody was having basically like a crisis in class because um, we were going over something uh, pretty intense. And I, I'm a nervous laugher. So at inappropriate times, you will see me smiling or laughing just because I, I don't know how else to deal with whatever's going on for myself in that moment. And I was always sort of aware of it, but it was that same like social contract that sort of kept it under, <laughs> under wraps in a way. And, uh, it, or, actually looked at me at one point in the middle of this, just in a completely quiet room as the student is uh, freaking out basically. And he just said, Anthony, you're laughing. But just like in that really or way, you know, <laughs> really direct laser beam. Right. Yeah. And it was, in that moment, I was just like totally embarrassed because he just like saw me completely in that moment. And um, yeah, that's, that's one of those, one of those things that just sort of usually slides by. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really crazy to get that type of feedback from, yeah, from professors in a learning environment. But like now, I'm that guy, right? <laughs> like <laughs> now, I'm the person that like doesn't let people change the topic or like uh-huh. goes towards intensity. I don't know if that's like good or bad. What do you think? Right. Do you think that makes it like harder to relate to? Have you picked up any of that stuff after the education? I think so. Uh, and that's a that's a good question. Actually, I think. I think Naropa broke my social brain in a way where um, I can still have fun with a lot of my friends that I was friends with before Naropa and we just like have a good time and stuff. Um, but I, I find that I, the new people that I meet in my life, I want to connect with them more deeply, like maybe a, a, too quickly. <laughs> Just be, sure. I, I don't know what it is. It's like I have I have like my old self with my old friends or something, but it's actually uh, difficult to maintain connections um, with new people because I don't I I don't know if I'm making sense right now, but but yeah, like it, it basically like uh, it made me want to converse with people in a different way, I guess if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. I think I had a similar experience of just being, I guess, getting bored of too much surface level or seeing through it or, you know, actually feeling that there's something deeper there and not wanting to be complicit in something like that of like, what's happening right now. Right. There's like, I'm feeling like a sadness or whatever. And yeah. yet we're like laughing or joking. And it's like, that becomes uncomfortable because I think I'm just more sensitive. I mean, I think it may be more sensitive. Totally. To what's going on, you know? Totally. Yeah. And just having that awareness and then I think part of at least what I got out of like the Buddhist leaning on things was the sort of radical honesty. And it, it ties into that where <clears throat> you don't want to let it go. I mean, you're using the word, your perfect word complicit because it's almost dishonest to be complicit in the uh, moving on to a different topic or whatever. Like, cause you're not dealing with whatever it was that, you know, came up for that person and maybe they had something interesting to say, but they just got like anxious in that moment and you might want to hear what they have to say, but yeah. you know, it makes people uncomfortable. Right. That's what I say. Like, yeah. And <laughs> like, I think it makes us kind of hard to relate to because <laughs> you know? people aren't ready for that. They don't want, you know, I agree. I Their agree. Defenses at least, at least don't really want that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that, that kind of, that actually leads uh, pretty nicely into what, we had sort of touched on before where um, I don't know, this conversation is actually blowing away what are kind of destroying my thoughts on um, masculinity and therapy. And I almost wanted to have a conversation about what the, what the place, what place masculinity has in the therapeutic relationship Um, because, you know, I mean, for several years now, we've been talking about toxic masculinity as a society, and there's been a sort of, um, uh, growing consciousness around the, the ways in which that harms our, our young men or our men in society generally, but, uh, perhaps more our young men. Um, but where, where are, where is masculinity important? 
and what is its place after we sort of heal it and it's not as toxic. And I think what we're describing is more of a masculine energy, actually, that, that like, um, uh, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but it's very forward and, um, um, pointed, I guess. Yeah. I think there is like a, you know, penetrative would be the word I think of, right? Yeah. In the word. It's yeah. like a very like penetrative, you know, honesty to it. And there's like an accountability, I think mm-hmm. at least in the way that we talk about it of like, when you said, Hey, it'd be dishonest. It's like, no, we committed to connecting. Right. I'm not going to let you off the hook here. Right. I'm going to push you a little bit. Right. right? I'm going to push you emotionally to be like, no, what were you really saying? Yeah. Right. Or like, Oh, where does that come from? Or like, where does that thought come from? Or what do you, you know, what's going on? There Mm -hmm. is like a, a challenge component to it. I mean, I, I think it comes from love or, you know, as much as it can, it comes from love, Mm -hmm. but there is like an aggression to it. Right. There's a, there's a push. Right. 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 Yeah. And I mean, just for anybody that's listening, I just want to be clear that when I say masculine, I think I'm not referring to um, sex or gender or anything like that. I think everybody has, um, you know, masculine, feminine, and other energies with within them. But this is just a you know more traditional way of talking about um, that aggressive energy. I guess I would say. Um, but yeah, what, what did you say right before I, I just qualified that? I'm, I just lost it. Yeah, I think it's important to qualify, right? That it's not tied to sex or gender. It's just mm-hmm. the polarity that we that we talk about. But yeah. no, we talk about the push, the aggressiveness, the accountability, right? The the challenge component, right? Of right. those types of interventions, those types of way of connecting with somebody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think. It was, sorry for the dead air here. There's so much that comes up when I talk about my time at Naropa. I think there was a long, there was a lot at Naropa that um, I learned about therapy that I thought was leaving that behind, leaving that sort of pointed, um, that masculine energy behind. Um, But it wasn't until I went and saw uh, Bruce Tift actually for a while when I was in my program that I realized Naropa actually wasn't leaving masculinity aside at all. Um, it was just that I think the parts, um, the parts of myself that, um, the parts of my masculine energies that I was using, I wasn't recognizing actually. And it brought some awareness to that. And, um, it was around then that I decided I didn't want to be a therapist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I'm so curious, like what was the click that happened for you? How do you connect those two things? I think I, at least at the time it, it was more a confluence of um, situations than anything else. I didn't straight up leave therapy just because I didn't want to be a therapist, but it was sort of easier to move on to other things. <clears throat> And I think at the time, though, uh, you know, I, I'm able to say this now, but several years ago or two or three years ago now, I didn't have the awareness to say that that's what was going on for me. But I think I thought I couldn't be a good therapist unless I was this um, w- like welcoming uh, blank slate mirror kind of thing that I think Naropa tends more to churn out, you know. Um, and I think it's a reason that someone like Bruce Siff doesn't work at Naropa anymore because they are sort of gearing more towards that, which is fine. Um, but I didn't have the, I didn't have the awareness at the time to realize that a therapist can be many styles, including that. And it's very helpful for some people actually. Yeah. Let's talk about more about that after our commercial break, about different therapeutic styles, what works for you, you know, how you would, how we practice, right? Like, how it gets through. Cause I think it's true from Naropa. And I think it's also true in the general media of what a therapist is, right. It's like someone that's like very soft, very validating, a lot of holding, a lot of like crying together. I think that's how it's portrayed. Yeah. Um, and I think it's good for listeners to know that like, that isn't all that therapy is. I think if, if you want that, need that, absolutely. But that's not all it is. Yeah. Uh, so for those of you tuning in, 
Uh, we'd love to catch you on the other side of the break. In the meantime, check us out on social media, right? Like us, share this podcast. It really helps as we're kind of building an audience for this. Um, if it's a topic that interests you or interests someone that you know, any kind of you know promotion really, really helps on this. So stay tuned and we'll catch you on the other side. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark azulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azulay. I'm sitting here with Anthony, and we are, I think, you know, over the course of this thing, we're debunking myths about therapy. We're showing that it doesn't all have to be what the movie portrays, what we were taught in our education, but that there can be a much broader sense of what a therapist can be. And I think, you know, just for people that even aren't interested in therapy, what self-growth can be, right? Like what self-development can be. Because even though I'm a therapist by trade, I'll be the first to say that, like, not everybody needs to go to therapy. And in fact, therapy, I don't think works for everybody. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people get things out of other ways of self-development, books, courses, workshops, spiritual practice close friends and family, just to name a few, that does what therapy does. Um, but we'll stay in the scope. Tell us about some therapeutic styles, Anthony. <laughs> some therapeutic styles. Yeah, um, like, like what else can it be? What else can it be? What else can it be? I think, <clears throat> I mean, some of the best, I've, I've had, you know, my handful of therapists over the years. And I think, you know, it's depending on where you're at in life. For For me, especially at the beginning of, being in therapy, having um, more of a feminine uh, energy to sort of like hold the serious stuff that I was bringing up, um, you know, trauma, what, what have you, was very helpful. Um, and it wasn't until later on that, was, well, group, I think, is really where um, I started to really love the like sort of intensity of therapy. Um, cause group is, man, uh, group, it's so group good. is brutal. It's so, good. so good. And man, the, the way you get to know somebody, uh, in a small group environment over a three year period, you'll never know anybody better. I, I really think that's true unless you're married, <laughs> which I'm finding that out now, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah. And then there's, you know, there's therapists. Um, I remember Matt Hollerin used to say the best therapist he ever had was a guy that did it out of his garage and he'd walk out in gym shorts and a sweaty t-shirt and pull a chair up and sit on it backwards and just like talk to you for an hour. Very like non-traditional 
method, but he said that, that the nature of like how this guy worked was just like perfect for him. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, then you have like people like Bruce Tift who thinks most people shouldn't be in therapy and he cannibalizes his, (laughs) his own clients because, uh, you know, after a while he essentially convinces them that they're okay. You know, you're okay. You don't, you can come in, we'll talk, I will listen. Um, but you're okay. And for some people hearing that they're okay is what they've needed to hear. So really important. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when therapy gets dangerous is when it can enable patterns, right? And this is, you know, for me talking about through my own experience and in the addiction world, I think in general is this idea that we are really attuned to enabling mm-hmm. and to over validating and mm-hmm. to being like, Hey, you know, it's okay that you have this problem. Like you don't have to change. The world has to change to incorporate you. Mm-hmm. And of course that's an extreme position. Like there's obviously somewhere in the middle, but I think therapy is shifting towards that idea. And I think it's actually dangerous. I'll be quite honest. Like I think it's actually dangerous mm-hmm. to abdicate responsibility from individuals because sure, we are responsible for our personality defects. We are responsible for the harm that we caused to others. We are responsible for our own trauma. I mean, we obviously didn't make it happen, but we're responsible for treating it. They're responsible mm-hmm. for being able to integrate um, into society and have loving relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think when therapy becomes way too accommodating, it becomes enabling. Totally. Yeah. And it, for me, I, I tend to think that it shifts with, I mean, this is all like sort of in the atmosphere right now. I feel like the country, the world is really having an awakening uh, to a lot of things. And I don't know if it's the internet or social media. It feels like it's uh, because of the internet. I mean, it's crazy. Like oh, when I went to Naropa, um, you know, social justice was sort of in the air, I guess you could say, um, around 2013, 2014, you know, when the first, I think Black Lives Matter stuff um, started coming up. And it wasn't something I was really aware of. Like the media I watched, whatever, it wasn't something that was there. And then I, yeah. I, yeah. And then I went to Naropa and I was like, holy shit. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Can I cuss on here? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Like, uh, there's some really screwed up stuff going on. Uh, I'm participating in a lot of it. And a lot of that I can't help. Uh, a lot of it I can. I'm going to do, you know, what I can to not do those things anymore. Um, recognize when I screw up, yada, yada. And then I got out of Naropa and I thought I was going to be entering into a world that was very much the same, uh, as before, but you know, watching the same media and everything now it's everywhere. I thought I was just in this bubble at Naropa, but no, the world was changing and Naropa was just a magnifier of that. And to bring it back around to your point, I think, you know, we're swinging, the pendulum is swinging the other direction now. And I think with that, you know, you have, if, if I had to describe the opposite of what you're talking about, it's more of like the Freudian um, approach of like the hyper-masculine style of therapy, maybe very analytical and um, detached, you know, would maybe be the opposite. And with the societal swing, I think comes institutional swings and, you know, therapy is an institution, whether, you know, uh, Europa wants to believe it or not. They're, they're a part of it. Yeah. I think that's really true. I think there is a balance that's happening. You know, it's interesting to have this conversation because I'm trained in psychoanalysis, right? I'm trained in modern analysis, which is a combination. You take the ideas of Freud and then you expand them and do another hundred years of development, right. In order for it to match a modern cadence, to add social justice, to add diversity concerns, <coughs> to add trauma informed care, to really update the technology. But it is still very much rooted in, I think, that masculine probing and that idea of like, you need to take responsibility for your entire life and don't expect the world to change or to like really care, Mm -hmm. which is like really brutal. Yeah. Right. It's like a really intense message um, to get, especially from a therapist. Right. That like, this is you, like you're on your own in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, that's the trick, I guess, is delivering that message in a way that, uh, number one, when it's appropriate for the person to hear, when they can hear it, um, and the, the way that they can hear it, you know, uh, 
I think this, you know, this goes right back to the style thing where for some people, when I say it's like a style that works for you, I think that's ultimately what I mean. It's like, is the therapist saying things in a way that you can actually hear when you need to hear them? Or are you just sort of spinning your wheels with them? Because, you know, therapists are human too. They're not necessarily going to know immediately whether or not you're uh, sort of driving in that way. You know, they want to help. <laughs> They're going to do it the best way they know how, but it may not be the way that you need it. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think to, uh, so my therapist, Rick Tiverts, who was on the show, you know, in the first season, he makes fun of me in therapy, right? Yeah. He, like, <laughs> he like mocks me and like yeah. laughs at me and makes fun of me. And that is for me. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, I think part of that's his personality, but I think it's also him attuning to me. Yeah. Is that like humor, teasing, challenging, getting roasted, like that gets through my BS filters, uh-huh. right? Like if it gets too deep and it gets too sensual and it gets too slow, I check out, right? Like I can't trust that like frequency. Yeah. I need something that's coming in, that's sharp, that's pointed, that's quick, that's fast, that's at the same level of banter that I can sustain. Uh-huh. And I think it's really skillful that he's able to match that. Yeah. Yeah. And that skill is, um, you know, uh, what you, I, I don't know. It, it, that's just exactly what I've, what I think we were talking about is just like finding the person with the right skill. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really key. And I think now we know we're talking general generalities, but I think for men in general of what I've seen, our practice is like, 85% men. That seems to work better for us because I think we have been conditioned not to be intimate, especially mm-hmm. emotionally intimate. I mean, mm-hmm. also physically intimate. A lot of men like don't understand what real physical intimacy is. Also, it's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. But this idea of these like slower, deeper, like grief conversations, right? Or melancholy mm-hmm. conversations or a conversation around emptiness or conversation that that wanders right that doesn't have like a clear objective and clear next action steps like we just don't practice that Mm -hmm. at all Mm -hmm. and i think it at least for me and for some of the guys i work with i think those types of conversations make us really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and we want to get away with it like the example you said we laugh or we tell a joke or we like get aggressive like oh what are you trying to say right like there's this whole thing that i think it triggers in men because we're really that's really uncomfortable territory, I think, for a lot of guys. Yeah, yeah. And that that sort of poking or prodding is, you know, when it's coming from somebody that you know has your best interest at heart, I think that's when it's most effective for men because, you know, you have that sort of like bond or whatever. And, um, yeah, it's really interesting to see, like, the first time I tried some of these things as a therapist, I thought I was doing something wrong. And then I realized this really works on really works with some people. And this is like what this person needs right now. So I started to like kind of open up a little bit. Um, But I'd be interested to hear some of the ways uh, the more common approaches that you've seen work with some of the men that you work with. Yeah. I mean, I think challenging them is the biggest thing. You know, I, I use metaphors that are similar to physical therapy, right? Like the way to gain muscle, the way to get stronger is that you get a challenge that is right above your ability. And ideally you actually work out till failure or very close to failure. And the idea is that over time you get stronger. So I'll use that metaphor with the guys of like, we're going to have some real like emotional challenges for you. And it's my job to calibrate the challenge level, but know that we're always going to be escalating, Mm -hmm. right? Like feel that feeling a little bit longer, right? Sit in it, right? I can tell them very directly. It's like, what are you feeling right now? Mm -hmm. And sometimes they, you know, will be like, I think blah, blah, blah. I feel like this person sucks. And I'll be like, no, like, what do you feel like? Sad, mad, glad, mad, right? Afraid. Like sad, mad, glad. Those are the ones, right? That's that's modern analysis. Um, Just like push into that, like not letting them get away. And I think it does come back to what you're saying of this idea that we do have their best interest at heart. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really helpful. I think giving them, some of my guys really respond well to homework and assignments and recording things mm-hmm. outside a group because mm-hmm. they want to feel like they're making consistent progress in their life. Um, being held accountable, having things that, you know, well, you, you remember something important about them. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people like, I think all people like that, but I think guys don't get that experience actually. Yeah. Right. We don't have to be like, Hey, like how did that conversation go with so-and-so you had a week ago? Yeah. Like 
we don't have those types of conversations with other guys typically. We're typically talking like whatever's happening in the moment or bonding over an activity or a, you know a, a shared hobby or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and those work. little moments that they can make a lot and work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think um, the uh, you mentioned sad, mad, glad. That was actually um, I, I did this uh, Warrior Weekend. Are you are you familiar with this program? Is it the Mankind Project? Mankind Project. That's yeah. what I was talking about. Yeah. Um, I went on that, and that was sort of one of my first experiences into like. I guess psychodrama. I hadn't really been in therapy that long at this point. So I just like kind of went for it on this weekend. And that's the verbiage they used to, you know, when they were asking somebody how they felt, they wanted one of those three answers because they knew most of the guys that go to these weekends couldn't really describe it any better than that. Most of the time I still can't personally. So I still lean on that. (laughs) I mean, that is such a key point. Uh, One of our earlier guests, Jeff Grossman was talking about this and I think it's so true. And he put it in such a beautiful way where he's like, when you ask a man, especially with no therapeutic experience, how he feels, the answer is usually like, I don't like, I don't. (laughs) Yes. Right. Or like, what are you talking about? Right. Like we actually have to build up that emotional intelligence. I think way more than women do typically. Um, because I think they, they're conditioned, right? They have way more experience talking about it, sharing about it, connecting through emotions. Definitely. For guys, we don't have that at all. It's like, I just feel dead. Like maybe I'm like a little hungry. Right? <laughs> yeah, the physical yeah, like needs. You're right. I'm like kind of bored, right? I mean, that's like <laughs> as far as it goes. Like, I think you're dumb, right? I mean, like I think it's therapy thing is dumb. Like I'm kind of at, mad at you for right. asking me that question. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, when we say we don't know, we actually mean it. Like, <laughs> we're not just like withholding from you. Yeah, we actually don't have the skill, right? Like we don't know <laughs> what we're feeling. It's like, I don't know, like my chest is tight. It's like, are you feeling afraid? It's like, don't call me a coward. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what are you getting at mark yeah exactly who, who are you man how are you qualified to talk to me about this so there's you know I, I love working with that i love working with that because if someone can work through that it, it creates such a beautiful just like tapestry and dimension to their life you yeah. know it adds, just adds so much it just adds so much yeah and i think something i would say to anybody that's listening that it hasn't been into therapy and feels like they're one of these guys and thinks that there's like a huge road ahead. Number one, there is, but number two, it's also pretty spectacular how quickly things open up once you do start to like go down that road. I think, um, I mean, I know my own personal vocabulary around, uh, my internal life has like increased tenfold in just a few years. And, um, you're not looking at the rest of your life to learn this stuff. It's, it's really, we have, we have all this in us. We just don't have the uh, vocabulary for it. I think. Absolutely. And the awareness and a lot of the guys that I work with, you know, including you, right? Like me, like high performers, it's like we work so hard and then we end up feeling nothing. And Mm -hmm. like, wouldn't it be nice to feel the rewards of all like the work (laughs) you're doing? Yeah. You know, wouldn't it be nice to like actually have like some emotions around the, successes that you have right right yeah it's not just the bad stuff we're talking about it's the good stuff too right like you know as you open the aperture you have more bad but you also have more good right Mm -hmm. it's just you get more overall instead of living in that really thin valence so yeah this conversation is going by really quickly we're about to move into our next commercial break um, for those of you listening out there, if you're liking what Anthony is saying, if you have any comments or feedback, shoot us an email. Uh, it's at podcast at mark-azley.com, M-A-R-C-A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.com. I'll send anything on to Anthony, um, get you in touch with him. I'd love to hear any feedback if there's any guys out there listening that are like, yeah, this is me. I do have this issue. Um, I do want to learn more about this. So stay tuned and we'll catch you on the other side. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. 
They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit Mark dash azulay dot teachable dot com that's mark m-a-r-c dash azulay a-z-o-u-l-a-y dot teachable dot com find out what's happening on the voice america talk radio network by keeping up with us on twitter you can find us at voice america trn You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay. And we were just talking about different therapeutic styles, how men relate to emotions. And I thought it would be wise to talk about uh, my journey and essentially how that's helped me, some challenges overcame and how that's helped me to be better connected to my world. So uh, there's a lot there, but a big one that I, that I tell people a lot is that personally, I was not able to take advice until I was in therapy for five years. Because I have such an authority problem that when anybody, like even a book, <laughs> right? Like when anybody or anything tells me what to do, my immediate response was like, shut up. You don't know me. Like I'll just reject, <laughs> right? I'll just reject everything. And, you know, you can imagine how difficult that is to like live and just like think that you know better than everybody else. Yeah. And that nobody knows you, right? <laughs> um, it's both grandiose and also painfully lonely, you know, yeah. going like a level deeper. So yeah. I had to work through. I guess you got pretty good life. at doing things on your own. Right. I mean, that's like the good part of it, but I was also like really alone and I did things poorly because I wasn't taking any advice. <laughs> <laughs> like I wasn't open to mentorship. I was like, I don't know, this sucks. Like who, I don't trust you. Um, so I had to really work on that, work on my authority issues, work on some of my early childhood stuff. And now, and hopefully this is a, you know, I guess, advertisement for people listening. Now I can read like a book, a coaching book or learn a technique and just do it. And I don't have that real, I really don't have that resistance of being like, should I try this? Is this the right thing? Like, what's it like? Like there used to be such like a, a rigmarole, like an anxiety thing that would hit before trying something. Mm-hmm. And I can say that therapy really helped me not just not do that. It's like way more efficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> you want me to describe what my, uh, we have very similar stories. I think we know this about each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you know, authority figures, uh, I was saying earlier, the only people I could take advice from were coaches that were screaming at me, basically, because they're the only ones that could sort of get through everything. And uh, yeah, I think generally speaking, it was, uh, it was, the moment I, I think I opened up the most was when I realized that uh, I am a dependent person. Like I depend on other people and I started breaking that out for myself in various ways. Like I started, I started as far away from me as possible. So I would, I would sort of practice with myself like, okay, when I wake up in the morning, uh, I'm dependent on the power company to make sure that my phone was charged. Like I would literally think about it in that way. And then I started to realize that like, I depend on the people in my immediate sphere as well. And once I started taking responsibility for um, my neediness, 
I guess. That's what actually opened me up to what you're talking about, where you, you know, I can take advice, especially for men. That was a big move. That's why I, I stayed with female therapists for a long time, because I felt like it was easier to sort of take advice from them for whatever reason, probably daddy issues or something, you know? Uh, but yeah, yeah, I can totally relate. Yeah. The dependent thing is a great topic. That's so hard for guys. I mean, it's hard for me too, right. To like really feel that and to really like be held or like fall into somebody or like trust that somebody's going to catch me. Yeah. And I'll be honest, like I still struggle with that. Like that is still like my growing edge is like, actually letting somebody like help me when I need them. Like yeah. I've gotten better at letting people help me when I don't need them. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> Where it's like, it would be convenient or it would be easier or it would be like, it would help the project move forward. You know, that I used to not be able to do at all, but now I can be like, okay, like let's work on something together. And even if it's like not perfect, we, I can still let you in, mm -hmm. but like actually need somebody, right. Actually like not know what to do or like actually need help. That's a whole nother frontier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, this, I just got married a couple months ago and, um, it wouldn't, I don't think it, I would have been able to do that had I not, I, I think realized all the ways that I'm dependent on Kim, like emotionally, um, physically, not just sexually, but like, you know, just how we help each other out around the house, that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, I think it softened me up a little bit, which I think I needed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to say the least. It's really, really inspiring to hear. Mm. Right. You're able to like let her in and you're able to yeah, let yourself be held in some ways, right? Let yourself yeah. be, you know, interdependent. In my good moments. Yeah. It's still, I mean, it's one of those things. It's almost like addiction. You know, you gotta, you, you want to always go back to that thing. Um, and when I'm tired and I'm hungry or it's at the end of a long day, sometimes the last thing I want to do is let somebody in. Um, and there's days where I don't, you know, I kind of do my own thing. I sit in the basement or something like that, but, um, it just, it's not about being perfect. I guess you just got to take responsibility for the times that, you know, uh, it's, I don't know where I'm going with this really. I just, it's, it's, that's an important aspect of it. Yeah. What do you think is so scary about letting people in? Like what, what gets in the way of opening that door? Well, I think that's probably different for everybody. Um, I know for me, I think deep down for me, um, and it sounds like maybe we're similar on this for whatever reason, <clears throat> me not taking advice, for instance, let's just keep it at that level for now. Um, yeah, yeah. It wasn't easy because, not because I didn't want somebody telling me what to do. It was in the back of my head, I was um, taking their advice as an implication that I can't figure it out for myself and that like, I'm not good enough. And so to extrapolate that out to like a personal relationship, um, it, it took a lot of time to come to the realization that I can't meet all my needs. <laughs> and well, it, it started with realizing that I have them. Like we were talking about earlier, sad, mad, glad I can always sort of lean back on that. And um, once you start to develop a vocabulary and a awareness of what's going on for you and you can communicate what you want and you're with somebody that wants to give you those things or to help you with those things, that's when it starts to get really fucking uh, intense. Sorry for the F-bomb there. <laughs> well, and really fucking magical. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Because no, it, it, it feels like it's going to be a death every time. <laughs> but right. it's not it's not <laughs> it's like the trust fall right like yeah you, it doesn't matter how much time you do you think you're going to smash your face on the pavement but it's really nice to have somebody there to pick up the pieces right 100 percent. catch you pick up yeah. The pieces. um yeah i think there's that i mean i think that's what i'm realizing you know in my life too and i think a lot of the guys realize this is that we don't know what our needs are and when they get met 
we can become more powerful, more effective, whatever our thing is, right? Like more present, right? Than we can even possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. I think that's when those real, you know, quantum leaps happen or those real paradigm shifts can happen. That's when we actually start like feeding ourselves and it's for the body too, which I think is awesome. Is that like many people are nutrient deficient and it's like, you don't know, you're like selenium. What the hell is selenium? <laughs> and like you start taking selenium and you're like, Oh my God, I'm not depressed. Like this thing that I thought was like me actually comes from a need not getting met. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I need a lot of physical touch. And when I don't have that, I know now that I get depressed, but I was single and alone for a long time. And I thought that I was just like a depressed person. And it's like, no, I'm just like touch starved. My brain's just like lot lacking oxytocin. Right? Like I'm, like, I'm running on like an awful fuel mixture. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a good book actually called Running on Empty that talks about talks about that and how traumas can lead to like the reduction of those uh, drugs in our brain. And it's it's really crazy how it all works. Yeah, it's pretty cool how we're learning that there's biological correlates to a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, to loop back to men, for those of you listening out there, like this stuff's real, right? Like there's like real science behind it. I know for me, I guess for me, I needed to know that. I needed to know that something was biological. I need to know that there was like, that someone's got it under a microscope somewhere, right? Like someone's got a handle right, on this thing, right. you know, like someone's taking notes. <laughs> I, I, needed, I needed to know that. And it actually helped me take a lot of this stuff a lot less personally mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, cool. And especially if you read a book, that is like about you, right? I've read, now that I can take advice, I read these books and I'm like, oh my God, like I'm that guy, like 100%. And the author is writing something that is so vulnerable and like in times like shame producing in me. And I'm like, (laughs) oh my God, like this is 100% who I am. There's something very comforting in that because if there's enough people write a book about it, like it's not that unique. Right, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Just to realize that there's a lot of people struggling with the same thing. On the one hand, you want to burn the book for (laughs) for all the things that it's making you feel in that moment. On the other, (laughs) (laughs) don't tell me what to do. You're not my dad, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think what I keep coming back to in my head as you're talking is um, you mentioned. Um, when you're reading some books and it like, I don't know. I, I think just knowing you over the last couple of years and knowing what, you know, what you just said about um, it's hard to sort of rely on other people for small things or it was at first. And then you opened up to that. It's kind of goes back to what you said earlier about how it doesn't have to be about therapy to learn these things. Like, if I had to take a guess, and this is a, this is a reach on my part, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like for you, uh, learning to delegate was part of that exploration in a way. Because I remember when we first oh, started, yeah. or when you first started being president of FCGPS, you were doing everything yourself. And you, at some point, you were just like, okay, I give up. I, I have to start delegating some of this stuff. And I, I sort of saw you grow as like a leader in that way. And it just sort of speaks to your point earlier about how you can, you can have these, you can develop these things in different ways. It doesn't have to be therapy. Like you can do it at work. Absolutely. No, I think that's a great reflection. That was really hard. And it came to that. It came through at Feel for Help. It came to not trusting other people, right? It came to not wanting to be disappointed because the issue with delegation is that sometimes it fails, right? <laughs> and like, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. I hate it. I hate it so much. Because um, you could have done it better, right? I, and I had. It. That was the <laughs> right. other point is that like I actually had. <laughs> right. So like I knew I wasn't in my head about it, which I think made it even worse. Um, however, no, it was a big thing to learn and to learn about being at a slower pace and to like go with the consensus of the group and to make that organization stronger by bringing more people involved. So it wasn't just me. Because, yeah, I could keep doing it, but then that's all I'm going to be doing, right? right. Like, it, it would it would be building myself a prison, mm-hmm. which would be yeah. a repetition, right? Repetition of, of not asking for help is that we get stuck in these patterns and routines because we take on everything. Right, right. right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, leadership books are helpful. I think you can do, you can practice it at work. 
for a lot of the guys I work with, they have issues at work and then they come and talk to me and I'm like, Hey, has that happened in your personal life? Just, you know, as a random example. And they're like, <laughs> Oh my God, it does. My <laughs> wife says the same thing, you know? And because it's just us, right? I mean, it's not like we're different people. So a lot of things that might be happening in your work are also happening in your personal life. And it could be a great entry point into doing some of this more emotional, uh, emotional work. Yeah. They're, they're almost certainly happening in all the fields of your life. That's for sure. 100%. I mean, it's so funny. One of the things I bring up with my clients a lot is just like the intervention of being like, oh yeah, we know about this problem. Cause it's like, once you identify the problem, you see it everywhere. Yeah. Which like on some hand is like really humbling to be like, oh, I'm just doing this thing again. But on the other hand, it's very hopeful because if you can solve it, you have this like massive sweeping change. You have a true paradigm shift in your entire life. It's like quite intense. Yeah. And I think, I know we're short on time here, so I'll just quickly plug group again, because I think for me, group, having all of those mirrors, uh, number one, I can't, I can't just say somebody's uh, bullshitter because it's like an entire group of people telling me all at once. So I can't yeah. just like write that whole group off. I could, but it would not be good for me. <laughs> um, and two, it happens so much, the repetition of it, I think it just like, it gets through, you know? Absolutely. <clears throat> well, this has been great. Again, the time always flies by. Anthony, we'll definitely have you on for a future episode. Uh, for those of you that are listening, you know, promote, share, like, give us reviews, do all the social stuff. Um, Got to keep the hype going. It does really help uh, as we're kind of launching this podcast to get out to more people. And if you find it valuable, sending it just to one other person that you think would find it valuable means a lot to us at the show um, and really helps to move these messages across, you know, through the internet into, into the culture. So thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next week. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.